day has been fire. It's already happened. Y'all are going to be walking in the overflow of the first service. No pressure, but the first service brought it today. I'm just letting you know they brought it. God has been moving today, and I pray that we continue in that flow. And so uh, getting into this morning's message, or a quick aside, a PSA, if you will, um, I think there's been a little bit, there's been a little bit going on in our country in the last week or so. Is anybody aware? Yeah. We have some things going on. Um, yeah. Um, man, we are not handling change very well. And so I feel the need to do a PSA. Um, so I'm going to pull the old man card. Um, I'm 46, and for everyone that is older, I think that you'll agree with me, uh, just to give everyone a little bit of hope and a little bit of rationale, um, because I think a lot of people have lost objectivity. And so um, when I was at a Baptist school in 1992, um, the elder Bush was running against Bill Clinton, and um, all of my campus, well, 99% probably, was going uh, for the elder Bush, and Clinton won the election, and you would have thought the second coming was nigh, and the campus wore black as, as if there was a funeral going on, and it was very dramatic, because that's what college kids do. And, and so, anyway, I say all that to say, in every election cycle, it seems as though uh, we are more prone to believing that uh, the the, our world is shattered as a result of some election. And I think that four years ago, half the country thought that the world was coming to an end, and now four years later, the other half thinks that the world is coming to an end. And, and I just want to just help you out, okay? I just want to help you out just a little bit. If your hope is ever in a politician, then you have misplaced your hope. And the church said, amen. I'm trying to help you that your happiness, your joy, your mind being right should not be impacted by an election. Um, your heart and your hope should be anchored in something that is immovable and is unshakable, and that is what we are going to preach about today. And I, and I hope that we could recenter the conversation. And so as I begin to start this morning's message, I wanted to give you a video example to illustrate and set up the point, and we will roll it at this time. Yeah, roll it again. Oh, okay, 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 take it down, take it down. Those are bighorn sheep, all right? Those are males. They do this to establish territory and the right to mate. So not much has changed in the dating game in the last couple thousand years. And so um, I wanted you to begin thinking with me for just a moment um, about two opposing forces that we all have. And on one hand, and we'll let one of the uh, bighorn sheep represent uh, pressure, pressure, okay? And on the other hand, the competing bighorn sheep, we're going to have resolve, okay? Resolve. And so these two titans that we both possess at varying levels um, are going to constantly be at war with one another. I guarantee you there's never a day 
that, res- that the pressure is not going to wake up. He's, wait- he's waiting for you right now. Right? As soon as you walk out of the door, I promise you, pressure is waiting on you. When you wake up in the morning, that, that uh, pressure, it like literally rears itself up like, Aah! all right? And our human skull is actually, I think it's like three to ten times uh, more thin than a, a sheep. Like that sheep, if it hits you like that, you'd die, okay? You'd be dead. And so I, I wanted to start thinking about if pressure is always coming, if pressure never takes a day off, if, if pressure, pressure never takes a nap, it never, never goes on vacation, and then I thought about the other, the, the, the counterforce is resolve, the ability to meet that pressure. And I thought, how many, how many times could you take it? And maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're so hard-headed, maybe you could take one, maybe you could take two. Maybe. But what I know for a fact is that given enough time, you wouldn't be able to continue taking it. So then we have a, a, a variable that's called pressure, and we have the opposing variable called resolve. And our resolve will never be able to hold up against the pressure that is facing us. And eventually, we find ourselves in situations, in circumstances, in relationships, in monetary issues or political uh, disenchantment, whatever it may be. We find ourselves in, in this overwhelming state where pressure has had its impact, and we find that there's an end. It's finite. Our resolve is not infinite. It's finite, and therefore, there's a limitation to my resolve. So what do you do when the pressure is greater than your resolve. Is that when you go under? Is that when you quit? Is that when you give up? Is there a place of darkness that you just can't get out of whenever you finally lost your resolve? What if there was a third element? What if there was another person that we could introduce into the equation that would allow us to grow our resolve? What if we could find a place? What if we could find a person that could elevate us, that we could count on, that we could put our feet on, that would allow us to stand no matter what the storm? And so this morning, that's what I'm going to preach about. In the year of yes, we're going to be saying yes to the pressure. Yes to the pressure. But we're going to find that the answer does not lie in ourselves. It does not lie in the approval of others. It does not lie in our strength. It does not lie in our intelligence. It doesn't uh, rely in our craftiness. It's going to ultimately rely in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you are overwhelmed by pressure, I promise that before the end of this morning's message, I'm going to give you a key that can unlock the door that you can get out of the prison that is pressure. Now, a quick aside just to to add some spice on the moment. Um, this was a fun thing. I always like to deconstruct things. Does anybody else like to analyze? Anybody by show of hands? I have any other, like, you know, I'm a thinker, you know, and this week I'm feeling a little extra philosophical, but um, I started thinking about uh, where were we last year at this time? And if you haven't done this little game, it's a fun one to play. I mean, I want you to think pre-pandemic, all right? I want you to think about what you thought about life before, like, what, what were you like? Look at, look at old 2020. I got some challenges out there. We're going to try to hit this marker. Hit this. Like, you didn't even know, did you? You didn't know. You had no idea what was coming. I mean, pressure like you've never known it before was knocking at your door. And so when I went back and I looked at our catalog, we were preaching a series called Redemption. 
And the sermon I'm going to preach today, at least the text, was the text that I used at that time. And so as I reviewed the messages I preached last year, as I read through this one, I was like, this was prophetic. I mean, prophetic. I was preaching something back then that I was going to need right now. I mean, it's, it, it's going to be, if you think about it in that context, that I preached this before when none of, anybody knew about the pandemic, I'm, I was just like, okay. So I'm going to preach that text, a little different flavor, about how we can handle the pressure that life throws our way. So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians, and we're just going to cover four verses this morning, 8 through 10. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Would you agree? The Apostle Paul is not a drama queen. The Apostle Paul is never an exaggerator. The Apostle Paul is a, a stoic logician. And I don't think there's a greater pressure than if you find yourself in a situation where death is in the cards, where it's conceptually possible in the era that they were in, where Christians were being martyred left and right, that they found themselves in such a situation in which death was possible at any moment. And he said that as he was in this pressure cooker, as he was in this pressure-filled moment, that he wanted to share it with his brothers and sisters. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about the pressure that I am in. Last week, we talked about secrets and how sometimes we keep secrets because we're embarrassed for someone else to know. And we talked about that that was a trap that that is a trap that you are designed for Christian community so that when you are under this pressure, when, when life throws you a curveball in marriage and parenting and your money, whatever it is, if you build Christian community in your life, here's an incredible thing. You can actually ask me to pray for you, to walk with you, and though there's no physical exchange whatsoever, I can reach into the spiritual realm and I can borrow from your burden. And together, as a Christian community, as a church, we can bear one another's burdens. And the church said, amen, man, let's bear one another's burden. Why do you need to share the demon? Why do you need to share the struggle that you constantly are paralyzed by, that pressure that you're under? Because you cannot bear it alone. Paul said, I don't want you to be uninformed that I was under an overwhelming pressure, a pressure that was beyond my ability to endure. Have you ever been in a situation where you're in over your head? Anyone? Like every person has a story when they were learning to swim, right? Everyone in here. And you maybe misjudged your ability and you jumped off a diving board. And I remember we had a public park. It was McClure Park and it had a high dive. And dude, oh, so many kids, little kids like myself, we, they would go up and they'd get to the end and like they would like sh have to do the shimmy of shame right back down. Anybody like, and you, you jump off and you, now you're down deeper than what you thought you were 
were going to go, and you're like bubbling, and you're like, I got to get up there, I got to get up there. And then every now and then, there was an idiot named Freddie, a jack wagon, and Freddie decided that he was called to baptize you without your permission. Anybody know Freddie? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been like dunked when you weren't ready, and you thought, I'm going to die? Anybody? Like, you're like, oh, ah, no, ah, and you come up, and Freddie's over there just smiling away. I, I don't, I'm not saying that I had that. Yes, I had that experience. And so his name wasn't Freddie, but I still hate him. Anyway, my point being is that when you get into situations when you're in over your head, it is a place of panic. That pressure will cause you to absolutely panic for your life. He said, we despaired. We were in despair. We, we were feeling like the darkness was winning. The pressure of, of what they were in was winning against the resolve. Now, the Apostle Paul had more resolve than any of us. But there was a place where resolve met pressure, and he was losing. I found that pressure is, is kind of like an enemy that knows every one of your weaknesses. Pressure... Sometimes it'll shout from the mountaintop what it is that makes you crazy. But I found a lot of times pressure is just the whisper, right? Every parent in here has reached these pressure moments where you're in over your head. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. Someone will tell you about a crying baby and the first time that it's your crying baby and you can't get that crying baby to stop crying. Anybody ever felt that pressure by a show of hands? I guarantee you have. Pressure. What happens when they get older and they start asking you questions and you don't know the answer? Pressure. What's going to happen to them? How are they going to turn out? What are they going to become? Are they going to get it right? Are they going to get it wrong? What's going to happen? Pressure. Then they get into the middle school and high school years and what do you do when all of a sudden those competing voices are leading your kids down a path that you never dreamed that they would be on? You raised them right. You loved them. You created the, the perfect cocoon, uh, cocoon of, of happiness and yet now they're all of a sudden feeling unworthy, feeling unloved and defining themselves by how their friends define them and now you're sitting there and you don't even know how to get them out. You don't know how to pull them out of the darkness. And if your kid was hurting like that, that's pressure. In marriage? Are you kidding me? You think there's pressure? Anybody think there's pressure in marriage? Say amen. amen. Trying, to, trying to share a little space, like a bedroom, a prison cell, whichever one that you, you, you feel that particular day. Like, oneness is difficult. Oneness requires such surrender, such selflessness. And if you ever mistakenly thought that marriage was to make you happy, then you are a most miserable, disappointed soul. Marriage is not designed to make you happy. Marriage is designed for you to sacrifice, and you find that sacrifice not in and of yourself, but you find it in your relationship with God. And so whenever you learn to stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ, he will give you the grace, the patience, the love, the forgiveness that you need to sustain a healthy relationship. But that's pressure, man. 
pressure, the pressure of their expectations. What if you're like a, a overly like preparer planner and they're like a, wee, let's just have fun. We'll figure it out when we get there. That's pressure. What if you're like, let's go see the world. And they're like, oh, I like to have a staycation where I just sit at home and watch Netflix. That's pressure. What if they're a spender and you're a saver? That's pressure. What if their fun is to have a hundred people at your house and not even have a plan for what they're going to do? And you're like, a, about two people would be fine. Like, that's pressure. Pressure comes in so many forms and fashions. There's professional pressure, like I want to get to this level. I want to get to this title. There's student pressure where I got to make this grade to get into that school. And if we don't hit that mark, then we feel like such a failure and defeated. And let me tell you, there's another side to that sword that's equally damning. And that's when you get to that point and when you achieve that mark. And if you didn't have God, you will sit there and try to drink from the cup of your success and you'll find it oddly incredibly dissatisfying because no matter what level you're on there's always a something else a what about but what about this though what about this though what about this though and pressure will always find a way to find you insufficient and incomplete how do we handle that pressure Paul said we were in over our heads it was beyond what we could endure next verse Verse 9, indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened. Purpose. What is the purpose of this pressure? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. That we might not rely on our, we're going to say that together on three, one, two, three, that we might not rely on ourselves. See, there's a wrestling match inside of you. As I'm talking about resolve, some of you are like, that's right, I got resolve. Man, hit me, knock me down 10 times. I'm gonna get back off the mat because I don't quit. I promise you, if I hit you long enough and I hit you hard enough, we will find a place where I can break you. There's a wrestling match going on in your mind and it doesn't matter what your level of resistance and resolve is, you still have a breaking point. And it's interesting what God is trying to do in these moments. He's trying to get you to find the end of yourself. And if you can find the end of yourself, you'll find where God begins. And so he does this crazy thing. We're going to say that the, that the pressure has purpose, and we're going to give a quote on the screen, that God puts us in unwinnable situations with unknowable solutions so that he can show up and do the unforgettable. And then after he's done the unforgettable, it will allow you to believe in an unbelievable God. So I want you to try this on for a moment. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you didn't know what to do, where you were in over your head? The disciples and all throughout the Bible, God is doing this experiment. And it's not because he's a God that wants to torture your soul, he's trying to get you to learn to rely on him. Because if you wait till the moment and you didn't already rely on him, you're liable to sink instead of finding some ground to stand on. And so throughout uh, all of the Old Testament, New Testament, I'm gonna cite two examples. Uh, the first one is going to be the time in Matthew 14 where the disciples were asked to cross the sea. Do you guys remember that? 
And we're going to talk about the pressure of circumstances. The pressure of circumstances. He said, go down and get in that boat. I'm going to hang out here in the middle of the night. And by the way, on the water at night, it's always more eerie. It's just like being in the woods at night. It's like the same woods, but it's dark. And you just, it just gets uncomfortable, okay? And so they said, get on the boat and like, y'all head to the other side and I'll catch up. And so they get out there in the water. And of course, what happens? There's a storm, storm that blows up. And here they are rowing as hard as they can. Their resolve to row could not be matched. It was at 100% on the 100% meter of resolve to row. So it wasn't a question of effort. It wasn't a question of ability. It wasn't a question of desire. They all wanted to get safely to the other side. But now the winds and the water that was buffeting the ship to the point that the water was beginning to break over the bow. And you know that water belongs outside the boat, not inside the boat. Your boat ever has water on the inside? Bad. And all of a sudden they started panicking and they started freaking out. Why? Look at this amazing picture that God is painting for us is that the resolve was less than the pressure that they were facing. Or we could say the pressure was greater than the resolve and the resistance that they were trying to put up. So it didn't matter now how hard they rode. It didn't matter how much they dug down deep and found the passion to row hard. It didn't matter. The circumstances were stronger than their resolve. So what do we do when we find that the winds and the water are so great that it doesn't matter how much effort I put forth, I'm losing I'm sinking, I'm struggling, I'm going backwards. It says that this figure, man, you gotta give it to Jesus. Cinematic, dramatic, I mean, God just knows how to do it, right? It says like this glowing figure started hovering, like doing the Jesus, like you can imagine like God, the Father, and Jesus are writing these stories, like, okay, we're gonna get them out there in the middle of the water, and then, like, you're gonna, like, glow Jesus out there across the water to him. And so he gets out there, and it says that they began to, to get panicked that he was a ghost. And you gotta, oh gosh, I don't know that we might, whew, uh, we might ever mistake our salvation for something that's trying to, hmm, okay. So, here this figure was, and he said, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter's like, if it's you, let me, let me come out there on the water to you. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks out, and they're having like a high five, and all of a sudden, Peter looks around, and, and the waves were still just, I mean, busting everywhere, and the wind was howling against him. And it says that when he took his focus off of Jesus, and he started focusing on the circumstances, all of a sudden, he began to sink just like all of us. We get in here on Sunday and we are high five. I saw some of you, you were worshiping. I call that a high five. Like whenever we raise our hands, it's like we're high fiving Jesus, you know, especially this front row, they really get going, you know, like wham, wham, wham. And so you're high fiving Jesus on Sunday and you're sinking on Monday, aren't you? You're sinking. And he cried out, said, Lord, save me. And it says he caught him by the arm, just like every parent, they know that catch, right? Like you catch him by that arm. Takes them over to the boat. They get in the boat. And when they get in the boat, it says that the, the water and the waves both laid down at the same time. And, and it was like silence. Why did he wait? Why did he wait? 
Sometimes you feel all alone in that storm, don't you? Yeah. You're rowing as hard as you can. You have the resolve. But the pressure is greater than your resolve. Could it be that God is trying to position you to reach the end of your effort so that you might learn to trust that there is a force that is greater than yourself, that there is a power that is greater than the pressure that you're under, that you might find that there's a rock beneath the surface of the circumstances that you can place your feet on and you go to work and you begin to study in the midst of the storm and realize that there's a God that is bigger than the storm, that your circumstances are not stronger than your spiritual leader when you crown Jesus Christ in the midst of the crisis. I just wonder, is there someone in here that's feeling that pressure and you know that you're sinking and you're sitting there going, man, no, I just got to swim harder. I just got to row harder. I just got to pray harder. I just got to just try. I got to go to more counseling. I got to go to more. I got to do. No, what you need is Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Yes. Yes. If you keep trying to beat your circumstances, you'll beat yourself to death. If you don't come to the end of yourself, it will be the end of yourself. You want to know how to win when the pressure is greater than your resolve? You better have Jesus. I promise you, if you think that you're just going to love them enough and that's going to be the thing, no. No. You're going to find you need Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that you can rest in when you have that moment when you realize that your resolve isn't enough. Not only do we see an answer and a purpose in the pressure of circumstances, I want to do a second one, and it's the pressure of losing people that you counted on. The pressure of losing people that you counted on. Just by a show of hands, has anyone in here ever felt the pressure of losing someone you counted on? Anyone want to show of hands? Yeah. Now, I don't know how you could go through life and not experience this. There's so many ways that we can lose people. We can lose people when they pass from this life into death. We can lose people when there are coworkers that quit. We can lose people whenever there are people that walk out on marriages. We can lose people whenever it's a parent that decided they didn't want to do that job anymore and so they abandoned their child. There's so many ways that we can lose people. It's like in us, it's around us. And, and if you're one of those people that draw your self-worth and identity by pleasing the people around you, then you're going to find that this pressure is too great. It's too great. It's a wrong system and way of thinking. In Genesis chapters 37, I think through 50, we have one of the most incredible heroes of the Old Testament. His name was Joseph. Do y'all remember Joseph? Man, what a crazy story. Talk about losing people. He had this coat of many colors and he had this dream and, and all of a sudden his brothers got jealous. And they took him out and they were going to kill their own brother, own flesh and blood, because their jealousy was so great. 
And one of the brothers, thankfully, I believe it was Reuben, said, well, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe we should just sell him. Can you imagine being Joseph, listening to your own flesh and blood, discuss a plan for what was most profitable about your demise? Can you imagine him going through the thought process of what have I done that someone would do this to me? I mean, if you can't count on your own brothers, then who can you count on? And you would think that that after he goes through that, then surely it's going to get better. No. No. His next place is at Potiphar's house, and he begins to rise up, and you could see almost like a flower coming up out of the ground, and it's, it's just starting to bloom, and, and maybe this is my lot in life, and maybe I'm just going to, to, to serve this, this guy Potiphar, and, and maybe that's just the way my life is going to go. I'm okay with that. I, I can get okay with that, and, and he's falsely accused and falsely convicted of rape when he didn't do anything. And you know as they're dragging him down, he's not going up, he's going down. He's following God, but it's not going well. And if you ever thought that saying yes to Jesus meant that you would never have a storm, that you would never have a struggle, then you haven't read the Bible. Saying yes to Jesus is not going to free you from any stress or struggle. Matter of fact, the further you go with God, the more you're going to endure stress and struggle because when you're just sitting on the sidelines just a Sunday, go to church and say yes, amen, preacher, and then never do anything with it, you're not a threat to the enemy. But when he sees you starting putting points on the board and points on the board as souls being saved, lives being changed, hearts being turned around, prodigals coming home, people that are sick, finding health, people that are slaves in debt, all of a sudden getting free because they followed God in their finances. When you start doing that now, now you're an opponent. Here's Joseph down in the dungeon, and he has another dream. He helps people with their dream. As a matter of fact, he helps Pharaoh with his dream. That's another little side sermon. I'm not even going to preach it today, but maybe soon. I don't know. But like, man, isn't it amazing that helping somebody else with their dream is what, that's what led to his freedom. Maybe you're too busy with your dream. Maybe you ought to help someone get their dream. And maybe the freedom that's elusive to you is in helping someone else with their dream. I don't know. That was just an aside. Here, all of a sudden, now he's elevated. And I wanted you to think about this for just a moment. Because whenever we lose people, we often and almost inevitably turn inward. And we say, I guess I'm not enough. If I was enough, they wouldn't have done that. If I was enough, they wouldn't have left. If I was enough, they wouldn't have quit. Can I help you? That losing some people is a part of the journey. That there's some people that can't go with you where God's trying to take you. And even though he was losing people, he was ultimately going to lift Joseph to a place that he could save the world. And if he'd have had his brothers with him, he would have never got to the destination. You can get to a place where you embrace the fact that you're going to lose some people if you're going to follow after God. And if you're a prisoner to what they think, or if you're paralyzed by the approval of others, then you'll never arrive at the destination that God is trying to take you. They can't all go with you. And the church said, amen. You've got to lose in order to win sometimes. Man, Joseph, that was elevated because he endured 
under pressure. Last verses. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why do you need to transfer trust from your strength and from people? People are not in charge of your hope. Do you know who's in charge of your hope? Jesus Christ. When you put people and politicians and other power structures in charge of your hope, you are destined to be disappointed. But there is a place that we can place our hope where we will never be disappointed. We will never grow disenchanted because he is solid and he is consistent and he knows how to see around the corners that you don't even know is coming. I preached this last year and thought I knew what I was preaching, but I was preaching it for this past year ahead of time so that I might know how to handle the pressure. The God that raises the dead. You do not have an enemy that is greater than death. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Like they put him in the ground and God raised the dead. Can I help you? Can I ask you? Can I challenge you? What are you struggling with this morning? What pressure are you facing? And then I want you to take that and compare it to the grave that Jesus Christ was laid in. And I want to ask you, if he can do that, can he help you this morning? Is his grace greater than the grave that you are fighting with, that you are wrestling with this morning? If he can call life out of death, then surely he can bring hope and help to your hurting and broken heart. Man, he said on him, I have placed my hope. It is a physical, mental, spiritual decision that I literally take my hope and I transfer it to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you this morning, just straight up, where is your hope? On what are you hoping in? Are you hoping that, that they'll love you and that's going to fix everything? Are you hoping that you'll make X and then that money is going to bring you the things? What, what is it that you're hoping in? Man, this morning I told you I was going to give you a key that can unlock the prison of pressure. And you know what that key is? It's Jesus. If you would transfer your hope to him, it will change everything in your life. And as you transfer your hope to him, he will transfer your heart and all of a sudden, you'll find happiness even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the betrayal, even when the people that you loved and you counted on leave. There is one that will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, I hope today that I could give you that hope. Let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, that every person in here would reflect, that they would begin to consider the pressure that they feel, that they would begin to ask themselves, have they become self-reliant? 
Or are they other people reliant? Are they money reliant? Are they title reliant? God, if it's something else other than Jesus, let's shortcut the process. Instead of getting to the place where you're in despair because you placed your hope on the shifting sand, let's transfer the trust today. If you're brokenhearted and you've been wandering around in the desert and in the darkness and you feel like you're sinking and you can't get out and you've already convinced yourself that you're not enough, then the answer is so close. It's right beside you. The answer is you were never enough. None of us are enough. And that's why we need Jesus. Jesus will not only fill in all the cracks of your broken heart. If you would give him your hope today, he'll do one better He'll give you a new heart. Brand new. He'll give you a new hope. Brand new. For all of your sin and your shame, the Bible says he'll wash you white as snow where you look. Brand new. Man, if you want that hope this morning, all you got to do is ask for it. You don't have to swim the ocean. You don't have to climb the tallest mountain. All you got to do is ask for it by faith. God, give me this hope. And before the prayer even leaves your lips, that hope begins to invade and wash over your soul. That's real. That's a rock that you can stand on. I know so many people have left you, hurt you, done all the, yes, I acknowledge that. But if you'll try Jesus, you're never going to have to worry about that relationship. Let's stand. This morning, if you've experienced that hope, then I think we ought to dignify that hope with the worship of the rock that is Jesus Christ. Would you guys put your hands together and let's worship Jesus. Jesus.